blessing. All right, 2 Samuel 21. Please hold those matters up in prayer. That'll be wonderful tonight. 2 Samuel 21. Now, this is a good chapter, but we're going to try to work our way through the study of David. I want you to go all the way down. Oh, let's see here. Let's go down to verse 15. Verse 15. Now, you might have, we have some visitors here tonight. If you'll be kind of share your Bible with them and make sure they have their place, that'll be a blessing. First, second Samuel 15. Now, this is going to be a pronunciation message because there's some pretty tough names in here. Amen. And so we're going to do our best to try to pronounce these names and uh, get through it. Don't get hung up on pronunciation. I might pronounce it wrong, but we'll do our best here. Verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him, and they fought against the Philistines, which underlines this phrase, and David waxed faint. And Ishbi Banab. Can you say that with me? Ishbi Banab. Oh, that's tough, isn't it? Ishbi Banab. And Ishbi Banab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass and weight. Now, if you wonder how much that weighed in our, our, our terms, you might want to write in the margin seven and a half pounds. He being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, succored him or succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this, that there was war, the war again, and a battle with the Philistines of Gob. Now, Gob was another name, another name that you'll find in Chronicles is Gezer. Then Sibekai, the Hushathite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob, or Gezer, with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of, and I don't even pronounce this one, but it's called in Chronicles Jair, a Bethlehemite slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And verse 20, there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature, which you notice this, which had on every hand six fingers, and every foot six toes, four and twenty-four in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, or Shama, a nephew of David, the brother of David slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now, sometimes we get wrapped up in thinking that the only giant in the Bible was Goliath. And there's a whole chapter given about him, about 60-something verses there in 1 Samuel 17. But the Bible is a record of many giants that had to be fought. And interesting enough, towards the tail end of David's ministry, we have this record here of four giants that were descendants of the race of giants. The word giant here is the word Rapha. And Rapha is where we get a word, is, is comes from the word Rephium. We find Rephium in, in, uh, in maybe the book of Numbers. You, you, Rephium means basically giants. And we find that, aside from David, that there were some other giant killers. Tonight I want to just give you a simple thought this evening as we continue our study through 2 Samuel that we need a generation of giant killers or the call for men who will kill giants. Now, Father, tonight we are excited and enthused and uh, just thankful about Brother Matt Haynes and what he and April are doing there over in the Kurdistan area for Christ. And it just seems like yesterday we were here with us for a missions conference and just to hear the excitement that, Lord, on the very first Sunday, after a lot of work, still a lot of language training, God, they had 17 people in church a week ago. And we know they'll have high attendance days and low attendance days, but to think of an area of a region where it's so desperate and, need of, and needy of the gospel, this man went there with the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit. He is slaying a giant there and getting a work of God established. Lord, tonight, some of our members face some giants. We pray for Jean Yee. Jean, Jean faces the giant of cancer right now. And we're praying, Lord, for that surgical room down there in Oakland at Summit Medical. God, we pray you'd sanctify that hospital room. We pray for the surgeon, the surgical team, that you guide the eyes and the hands of the surgeon wittingly. We pray, Father, that the surgery would go extraordinarily well. 
We pray that Gene would have no complications, a quick recovery. And even beyond all that, we pray for complete eradication of the cancer. Tonight, we pray for Miss Williams and for her grandfather, God, who has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and has been given a very grim prospect. He needs Christ. He needs to know that, Lord, that Jesus wants to prepare a place for him in heaven. And I pray that you embolden her and, and use her, that, Lord, with love and God, the, the grace of God, that she'd be able to bring the gospel to her grandfather, and just like the grandmother, that he would trust the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And, of course, tonight I'm talking to a membership, a body of Christ here, where many of our members are facing some insurmountable giants. And, Lord, the call is for some giant killers. It's not just David's job. There's a lot more of us who need to step up and do what we can to kill some giants. And so tonight, give us enlightenment from this scripture. Sanctify us through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Help us tonight that maybe tonight we'd circle September 9th as a day where, God, you get all the glory because of some decisions we made. We pray for this now, Lord, of you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Does the name Sultan Kosin mean anything to you? Sultan Kosin. Doesn't mean a thing to anybody. Didn't mean a thing to me until I was doing some research. Sultan Coleman, uh, Colton Coleman is reputed to be the tallest man alive in the world. Or one of the two tallest men alive right now. This man stands eight feet, three inches tall, if you can imagine that. Now, to me, that's pretty tall. If you think about an average room, the ceiling height is about nine feet. This man's head is very close to touching the ceiling. Uh, you can imagine what size shoes he wears. He's definitely got to get big and tall clothing for himself. And uh, probably what's normal for a lot of us who are normal height, this man has to find a place where he can fit into a, a car or things of that nature. But amazingly, can you imagine he stands eight feet, three inches tall. Guinness Book of World Records tells us that as far as the record books are concerned, secular record books are concerned, that the tallest man they have a record of is a man by the name of Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow, if he lived to, to, to this, this year of uh, February of 2018, he would have been 100 years old this year. Robert Wadlow stood in amazingly 8 feet 11 inches tall. Now that's big. That's pretty tall. And if they had an NBA at that time, certainly would have drafted one of these two men to play for them. Uh, this, this, and then right now there's another man by the name of Viano Millerine, who's a Finlander, who's also measured to be eight feet, three inches tall. Now, if we just relied on secular facts in history, we would think, wow, these guys are pretty tall. But I'm going to be honest with you. Beyond the secular history books, I'm thankful for a spiritual history book called the Bible that has a record of some, some giants here. Now, we're not going to magnify the giants, but I do want to give you some thoughts today about giants. The very first mention of giants is found, as we mentioned, in the book of Numbers. We find it there actually in the book of Genesis. And the word giant, as I mentioned, comes from the word Rapha, or we get the word Rephium from that. And uh, we know that the ancient Canaanites were a race of giants. They were a race of giant men. In fact, we talked about this for several weeks now, about Caleb wanting to go to Hebron, to a city called Arba, and to take on the sons of Anak. Anak was the giant in the land that scared ten of the spies. It frightened them. And they said, we can't go on. We're not able to take it. Caleb sized them up and said, we're well able to take out this man. And uh, one of the first giants, his name was Anak. And uh, another one we find is a, is a giant by the name of Og. Next time you read through Deuteronomy, spend some time reading about Og. Og is found mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and again another time there. In Deuteronomy 3.11, we have some insight about Og. It says in Deuteronomy 3.11, the Og, the king of Bashan, which Bashan was an area inhabited by a number of giants, it was a city filled with giants, for, for uh, only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants, otherwise known as Rephim. And the Bible says, Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and uh, four cubits the breadth of it after the cubit of a man. Now, Og, his name means long neck. So already we know this guy is pretty big. It means long neck. Now look at the dimensions the Bible tells Deuteronomy 3.11 about this man's bed. Nine cubits measures 13 and a half feet in length. Now you know this, okay? When you buy a bed, you want to buy a bed where the length is longer than your height. You don't want your feet dangling over the edge of that, right? It's just You don't want your feet dangling over because there's just something about your feet dangling over something like that that is not very comfortable. So, you know, back in those days we're, we're told this man had a bed set of iron. He was a very heavy man. If, if, he, if he had a bed that was measured 13 and a half feet, it could be. Now, it could be. We don't know. But it could be this man may have been as tall as 10 or 11 feet in height because he had a bed that was longer than him. I don't think that they would have made a bed just exactly.
exactly fit him. I think he had a bed that was just a little bit long in there. So imagine the conservatively, this man was 10 or 11 feet tall, and he was the king of Bashan. And there were other giants in that area. There were Canaanites and Amorites that were giants. And these giants were big men. And we look at the breadth of his, his bed. It was four cubits or six feet in breadth. And this man was very big. And so we look at that, and we're kind of mesmerized by, by, by these heights. The Philistines, which we read about as we spent a lot of time in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. The Philistines, which was a coastal people. The Philistines were descendants of these Canaanites and Amorites. Study the genealogies in the Bible and the listing of the names. And you find that the Philistines were a race of people that could trace their descendancy all the way back. Their ancestors were the, were the ancient Canaanites, Og and men like that. And so we find that we find a group of Philistines here. There were a race of them that were very, very tall. 1 Samuel 17 gives attention to one of the great Philistine giants. His name was Goliath. Now, Goliath was a midget compared to them. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. Okay, He was about almost two feet below uh, th- this man, this man by the name of Og. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. He was tall, but he was very strong. The Bible says his coat of mail weighed 5,000 shekels of brass or approximately 125 pounds. That was a pretty strong man. If he measured nine feet, nine inches tall and his coat of mail was on him, it weighed 125 pounds. The next time, you, if you want to imagine that, just pick up 125 pounds, put it on your shoulder and walk around for a little bit. You'll start realizing that's pretty heavy. Amen. And even for a nine foot, nine inch tall man, that was very, very heavy. And so we read this story about these giants here, but we're not focusing on Goliath. And there's many messages we've heard about Goliath. And there's some great messages we've heard about Goliath. I remember Brother Wally Davis, when he was alive, he preached a message about David and Goliath. Well, probably one of the great messages I've ever heard on David and Goliath, the great Bible message he preached that just inspired you about being a, being a giant killer there. But tonight, it's not about David being the giant killer. It's about the fact there's a call that there's more giant killers that are needed. And our focus tonight, very simply in our Bible study, verses 15 to 21, is about four men who rose up to the occasion who were giant killers. I want you to see three things very simply tonight from this passage of Scripture, if you'll go with me. Number one, I want you to notice the villains. Now, the villains are the giants. Everywhere the giants are mentioned in Scripture, they are the enemies of the people of God. Every find the giants mentioned, they represent a pagan race of people. They represent a, a group of people that were idol worshippers, people that d- d- despised the Jews, people that saw the Jews as being a hindrance to them. And we notice right now that these, this group of people we're looking at, these giants, are Philistines. They're coastal people. They're right on the coastline. They're maritime people. They're people that are just uh, very involved in trading and things of that nature. And uh, when we think about giants, we think about the fact that giants are intimidating. They are bigger than us at first sight. Uh, they live on mountains. And I just want to say this tonight, that giants live on mountains to keep you and me from getting a mountaintop experience because God wants to have a mountaintop experience. Jesus took three of his disciples up to the mountaintop to pray. And I don't know about you, but what a, mar- what a marvelous thing if Jesus invited you to go up to the mountain to pray with him. What a wonderful thing that is. And he went up there and there was the mountaintop experience he wanted them to have and, and the giants wanted to keep them. And if you would, the giants of unbelief and the giants of distraction tried to keep them from them. Giants live on mountains because they don't want you in their territory. Giants live on mountains because they don't want you to have a mountaintop experience with God. They don't want you to get close to the Lord. They don't want you being on the mountain for 40 days and coming down and being just like Moses, his face shone because he'd seen the Lord. And I want to encourage you tonight, don't let the giants of time, don't let the giants of, of distractions keep you from having time with God. You just make your time with God and walk with God. Amen. Giants reproduce other giants. That's what we're seeing here. These are, these are not the original giants that began with Og and these other ones. Giants reproduce giants. These are descendants of the original giants. Giants are boisterous. Giants are mean. Giants are nasty. Giants are bullies. Giants are takers and not givers. Giants are bloodthirsty. They want to kill you. But giants see you as being in the way. They see you as like grasshoppers, the way the, the spies thought about how the giants saw them. Giants show up at the wrong time. Giants want to overcome. We see four giants. Would you notice some profile about these giants? These four giants speak to you and me about four villains of the Christian life. Four villains that we need some giant killers to take on. And tonight, maybe one of you might be a giant killer. And maybe you're facing that giant in your life. And you need to be a giant killer of that that situation. Notice number one. The giant number one is found in verse 16. His name is Ishbinab. Ishbinab. 
David went out, was leading the armies. He led them to fight. David's a little bit older. This fight a little bit lo- went a little bit longer. The Philistines, this generation, Philistines finding David. They saw David. They remember what he did to one of their forefathers by the name of Goliath. They weren't very happy with that. These giants fought very hard. They kept their defenses strong. And the Bible tells us something very interesting. It says, David waxed faint. They saw weakness in David. Let me tell you something tonight. You're going to get tired in the work. You're going to get weary in the work. You're going to get tired of praying. You're going to get tired of coming to church. You're going to get tired of reading your Bible. You're going to get tired of trying to win souls. You're going to get tired of inviting people to a special music. I want to encourage you tonight. You're going to get tired, but don't stop. Keep going. Keep working for God. Keep serving the Lord. And notice they saw that David was vulnerable. Listen, when you get tired and I get tired, we are vulnerable. And the giants know that. Ishbi Benab, you want to write this down. His name means dweller on the mount of he that predicts. Dweller on the mount of he that predicts. You might say this. Dweller on the mount of he who prophesies. Now they say, from what I studied here, they say this giant Ishbi Benob was actually came from the from the, the mountaintop of Nob. If you know your Bible, Nob is where there was a high priest by the name of Ahimelech that was there with 84 other priests and they were killed by Saul. And this, this, pre, this, this giant here, Ishbi Benog, he, he came from that area, and uh, he came down, notice what it says there, he was of the sons of the giant. Now, there's, uh, it could be that this may have been, been Goliath, a descendant of Goliath. It could be that he was just a descendant of the race of giants, because the word there is not referring necessarily to Goliath, it's just saying he was of the Rapha. And it just tells us something about this man's dimensions, to give us an idea how strong he was. He had a spear, and the spearhead weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, and this tells us that he had a spearhead that weighed about seven and a half pounds. So it was pretty, it was pretty hefty and he was pretty strong. It tells us about his spearhead and it tells us he had a new sword. Now this giant went out and the Bible says this very simply, verse 16, but there's a lot of, lot of meat here. It says, he being girded with a new sword thought to have slain David. He took on the confrontation with David. He knew what David's exploits were all about. He knew what David did to the previous Philistines in fights. He knew David was brave. He knew David had killed bears and he knew David had killed lions. And he knew what David was capable of doing. But he went out, he saw David was faint, and the Bible says he thought to have slain David. He wounded David. He hurt David. He did something to David that made him think that David was killed. He may have knocked him down. He thought he had knocked him. Maybe knocked him unconscious. We don't know. But the Bible is very specific. He thought to have slain David. This giant went out with one idea in mind. He wanted to take David out. Now notice tonight, as we think about the spear, and we think about the new sword, it reminds me tonight this giant speaks to me about the giant of compromise. You want to write that down. He speaks to me tonight about the giant of compromise. Now, compromise is when there's an, a meeting, when there's a, a one or more people that meet together and there's a meeting of their minds. One or both parties give up something to arrive in an agreement. Where there's compromise, you meet in the middle. Where there's compromise, you change something. When there's compromise, you change something to make it agreeable so you meet there. And the giant of compromise here reminds you tonight that we have, you know what, the, the, the Bible is a sword. And it talks about here being a new sword. And, uh, you know, I just think about the fact that so many churches today and pastors have succumbed to this idea. We've got to have a new version of the Bible. And people have difficulty reading the King James Version of the Bible. And once a year, twice a year, we try to take people through classes. And if you haven't gone through it, come see me afterwards to get you through class, but you need to understand something. Just because it's a new translation doesn't mean it's a better translation. And just because it's a new translation doesn't mean it's a reliable translation. You need to check out those translations and determine are there missing verses? How did they translate it? Did they translate the thought or did they translate the words? I mean, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of meticulous understanding that you've got to do on this. But this giant came out, he had a new sword. And compromise occurs when we want to be popular. We want to be like everyone else. Listen, the devil's gimmick that he's had from day one. He wants us to compromise. He wants to compromise personally. He wants us to compromise what we do at work. I said this today. We, we had a ser- we're going through a series in our adult growth groups where we're talking about the keys to success. And all the adult growth group classes today taught on from Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And it dealt with the key to responsible living. And the key to responsible living is found in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Where Paul said this, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy except unto the Lord and which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and I said this you know it's very easy for us when we look at that verse 
Verse 2 says, be not conformed to this world. It's basically saying, realize that when we go into society, the society is doing everything it can to morph you and me to become like it. When the goal is for you and I to go into society and do everything we can to morph society becoming like Jesus, to catch what Jesus is about. But the truth of the matter is, and you just think about this, okay? Think about this in terms of just what happens. Society does a good job of morphing you and me become just like it. We use the lingo. We use the slang. We use the talk. We get used to the policy. We get used to the same things going on. Things that would have bothered us, that we would have been a little bit standoffish about, we've accepted. It's just like what we talked about today, about what happened there with, with in Joshua's time, as they started making, giving out the inheritances. The people got used to the Canaanites being the land, and they allowed them to dwell with them. They accepted Canaanite standards. And watch what happens. Very rarely do we get in the world as Christians, and we raise the bar, we, get the, we have the bar here, and we get the world to come up to us. More often than not, the bar, wherever the bar may be, the world is pretty good at getting us to lower the bar. the bar. The world is very good in getting us to be like the world in its thought process, its philosophy. And compromise, if you would, comes about when it tries to get us to give up some things and change some things there. Giants always oppose and fight with the preaching of God's Word. The Bible says in verse 16, this giant was girded with a new sword. His intention was to change some things. You be careful reading a new sword. You ought to stick with the King James Version Bible. Get yourself a dictionary. Get yourself a concordance. If you don't understand the word, stop for a minute, look up what the meaning is and say, now I understand what it's all about. You got a book set in a secular world. You got a book. You're going to take a dictionary and figure out what it's all about. If you don't understand a word, same thing applies in reading with the King James version of the Bible. Be careful of compromise. Be careful of trying to be popular like everyone else. Giants don't like it when we continue in the fighting and when we continue the things which we've heard and we've learned from the Lord. Giants want preaching to compromise. They want less preaching, less doctrine, less emphasis, less church, less gospel, less standards, less service, less giving, less joy, less Jesus, less this, less that, less that. And not watch what happens. We start to think, oh, maybe it's too much here, too much there. Too... Hey, can I ask you a question? When, when did it ever become you've got too much of Jesus? Come on. When is it that you have too much of God's word? Now, I can understand if it's apple cider vinegar, you can have too much of that. Amen. I can understand that. But come on, too much of what the Bible is called honey. Sweet to the soul. I'm saying today, you know, sometimes we, we get to believing all these things and we look at church as being an inconvenience. Really, the reality of the matter is, if we're, we're, we're smack dab where God wants us to be, church is not an inconvenience. We, we're, there's joy in serving Jesus. Amen? There's compromise. This giant thought to have slain David. Watch what happens. I'm not going to go through it tonight, but you look at every, every believer in the Bible who succumbed to compromise. It thought to have slain them. Lot. John Mark. And the list goes on. And I don't profile them to say they're bad people. No, that, that's you and me. Because the Bible's a profile. You and me, it could happen to you and it could happen to me. I'm just saying here, the Bible says that David grew weary in that moment, moment of growing weary. Here this giant Ishbi Benob comes along and he thought to have slain David. He had a heavy spear and he had a new sword. He thought to have slain him. And, the, and notice something else here. The Bible describes this. The men of Israel came to David in verse 17 and they told him this, David, thou shalt no more go out with us to battle, thou, that, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Hey, giants know this. If we can, if we can get you to compromise, we can turn off the lights. We can stop the light from shining. We start having, get in this place, if we say, well, maybe missions conference are too much, we'll just go every other year to missions conference. Or missions conference is too much, we'll just bring one missionary at a time, and we won't have a missions conference, we'll make it a big deal. Listen, the light of Israel will go out. Or we get to the place where we decide that uh, sometimes that maybe soul winning is too onerous and winning souls is too much and have an organized time for people to go out to practice and get better at what you're doing. That before you know it, the light will go out. And the giant knew this and the men of Israel knew this. If we take David out, the light of Israel will go out. Giant number one is the giant of compromise. Jonas giant number two. Go down with me to verse 18. It came to pass after this, there was, again, a battle with the Philistines at Gob, or Gezer. Then Sibachai, the Hushahite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. Now, Saph means extremely tall, or in other places, it means consummation. 
were consumed. He also was the son of the giant. Ishbi Benab was a giant of compromise. Saf is a giant of carelessness, or as we said this morning, complacency. Carelessness when we're consumed with a lot of other things. The Bible talks about Jesus went to Martha. She's just busy doing so many things. He says, Martha, thou, thou art careful for a lot of things. Carelessness is the scourge of the church. The church of Laodicea is called the lukewarm church. We saw that this morning. Laodicea means the people rule. This church that he said is neither cold nor hot. You're not cold. You're not hot. You're just lukewarm. He says you're right in the middle. And he says the church that it was a kind of church that was rich and increased with goods and had needed nothing. It got to a place where it was self-satisfied. It was self-serving. It was indulgent with self. It was desensitized to things around it. It was rich and increased with goods and having need of nothing. And the Bible says they were blinded to things that around them. They just didn't, were not bothered by things before. And whereas before in Laodicea, when that church started, it was an on-fire church. It was impacting the area for Christ. And the, the pastor of the church at Colossae, Paphras, I think he had a circuit where he preached in Laodicea. I think he preached over there at Colossae. I believe he preached over there at, uh, at, at, at uh, the, the, the other church that was there, the, that three church area and i believe he was serving the lord there but they got to the place where they got used to preaching got used to things and they became careless they got too busy and sap represents carelessness we find in the church is a church that is consumed with the false security is a church consumed with what the people want and not what god wants and we're not very careful that can happen to all of us here we get this place we become very careless and lax about things let somebody else do it let somebody else rise up i'll do it for you let me just say this today one of the best things we can do to help newer believers grow in the lord is let them do some things give us something to do. Don't do everything for them. Let them get up and do some things. Let them get involved. Let them share and share in the responsibilities. Let them know that it's a joy to serve the Lord there. But this giant Saf came along and he, he represented a threat. He was a giant of carelessness. Look at giant number three. Giant number three, to get a better idea who he is, go to First Chronicles 20 verse 5. There in First Chronicles 20 verse 5, we're told this giant's name. And it says, in, it says there, and there was war again with the Philistines. And Alhanan, the son of Jair, slew Lami, that's his name, Lami, the, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, whose spear staff was like a weaver's beam. Now Lami, you might want to write this down, his name means my bread. Bread is the staple of life. Most cultures have some kind of a form of a bread. It's a staple of what they eat. This giant, unlike the giant of compromise, unlike the giant of carelessness, this giant represents the giant of calamities. There are giants that want to take your life from you. They want to take away your joy from you. They're giants that want to consume your life. These giants represent calamities or problems pressures and trials that are bigger than you and I. These are giants and intimidates and thinking that uh, we're too, that, that God is too small and our problems too big. These are the giants that want to, that, that intimidate us. These are giants that, uh, this is the giant of diminished resources. I think of the widow woman at Zarephath as, as Elijah, Elijah went into that town of Zarephath. She, he went to her and God told Elijah, this widow woman is going to take care of you. And she was picking up some sticks and he said, ma'am, would you bring me a, uh, would you bring me a little bit of water and she said fine i can get you a little bit of water then he said would you bring me something to eat a little more so just to bring me a little crumb and she says i don't even have that she says look i've just got a i just got a uh, just a handful of meal and a cruise of oil i'm gonna make a meal for my son and i and after that we have nothing and there's this giant that this woman this woman she had diminished resources and some of us get that way we get the place where we're down to we're down to our last penny we're down to our last dollar we're down to our last resource and wondering where it's going to come from there and uh, this is a giant of diminished resources uh this represents a giant of diminished health. I think about the woman in the Gospels who had an issue of blood. She'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. What a terrible thing. She was miserable. She was anemic. She was sick more than she was well. She didn't feel well at all. And the Bible says this, that she went and spent all she had on doctors. It was none the better. 
She realized very quickly that as she exhausted all of her savings and all of her research, she realized that money can't buy your health. She came to a place that nobody could help her, and she was dealing with the giant of diminished health. We've got members, if you look on our prayer page, a listing full of one page full of members who are of diminished health, who are in need of great prayer, and that giant of diminished health is threatening them and telling them, you're not going to get well, and God cannot help you. There's the giants of storms that make us feel like we're going to sing. There's the giants that encourage, that encourages anxiety and pain. Panic to reign in our lives. Panic attack just seems to be the thing that rages through our society today where there's just so much going on in people's lives. There's so much pressure. There's so many things going on that people are going through anxieties and panic attacks and they get to the place where the panic attack overwhelms them and obsesses them to where they feel like that God can, is not in control and the panic is in control. That's what this giant represents here. This plant giant by the name of Lami, he went to war there and he was out there fat battling with the Israelites and he represented a giant of calamities. We see the giant of compromise. We see a giant of calamities. We see a giant of carelessness. But notice the fourth one, which you notice down in verse 20. All these giants are villains. There was yet a battle in Gath where was a man of great stature, the Bible says. And the Bible says here that on every hand, this giant had six fingers and he had six toes. Uh, every foot had six toes, 24 total number. And he also was born, in the, uh, born to the giant. Now, this giant was an anomaly. 24 digits. People just kind of looked and wondered there. But he was a giant on top of that. And Lord, just think about this for a minute. Giants have more than we do. Giants overwhelm us. They oversize us. They have extras that we don't have. We look at them and we wonder what's going on. This giant, he doesn't have a name. The other three giants have a name. But this giant doesn't have a name. And he speaks about the fact this is a giant of corruption. It's a giant of sin. Of sin when it rains in our life. It tries to get its grasp on us. It doesn't want to let us go. It's a giant of sin. Sin corrupts. Sin wants to put a death grasp on us. Listen, sin is terrible. Sometimes we play down sin. Sin is terrible. Listen, sin is what sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and me. This giant doesn't have a name because his size and presence are reminded that all sin is corrupting. There are no little sins. One sin can send a soul to hell, just like one cancer can take away your life. Just as giant was not normal, all sin is abnormal. We look at these giants and they're unbelievable. We look at these giants and they're unbearable. We look at these giants, they're unbendable. Hey, we see the villains. All, all four of these giants represent a giant that is that could be menacing your life and mine right now. Giants of corruption, giants of carelessness, giants of calamities, giants of, of compromise. But notice tonight, we're not spending all of our time on the giants. I'm glad about that. What you notice as we move a little bit further down, number two, what you notice the victors. David waxed faint. Now, David had a re- reputation to fighting giants. He defeated Goliath. And you remember, as he came back to town, he, he, he beheaded Goliath. He's holding the head of Goliath in his hand. He's walking down there, and people are amazed because they're, they're, they're singing, and they're saying, who is this? And Saul and Jonathan are amazed, and, and Saul and, excuse me, and Abner are amazed, and said, whose son art thou? And he's holding the head of, of the giant Goliath in his hand. And he became a national hero immediately because he held the giant's head in his hand. He became a national hero that everyone respected. So no one was thought, had second thoughts about David taking out a giant. But giant, David in this situation now that he was knocked down by Ishbi Benob. And the Bible says that the giant thought to have slain David. And so David was getting wary. And, and we look at this and as we look at this, the profile is not on David for the rest of the chapter. It's a reminder to us that sometimes finding giants is you can be all alone. And sometimes finding giants, you can't be the only one finding giants. There have got to be other giant killers around. Uh, David couldn't be the only one finding giants. He's an older man now. He's many years older than he was before. And it wasn't up to him just to keep on, to keep on finding giants. And if you keep finding giants, they're going to zap your strength from you. And they're going to they're gonna weaken you. And you're just going to find yourself finding giants all the time. And it gets to be burdensome and a powerful thing. And just that where, where you feel like you're wasted. And, and David was at this place where it got so intense. It's people not thought he killed David. Well, immediately God raises up some men. 
God raises up four men, four victors to encounter or deal with these four villains. Notice these four men that God raises up and they're an encouragement to you and me. And maybe you see yourself as one of them. Notice victor number one we find in verse 17. His name is Abishai. Now write this down. Abishai's name means the possessor of all that is desirable. The possessor of all that is desirable. He had everything that you needed to win the battle. Abishai is one of God, one of the, one of David's uh, great heroes there. He was one of the 30 mighty men. David, they had tiers of these 30 mighty men. He was in the second tier. Uh, Abishai was noted for having killed 300 men at one time in battle with his spear. He was known as one of the three that went to Bethlehem when it became a stronghold of the Philistines. And he went there with two other men and they brought back water from the well of Bethlehem to be a blessing to David. Uh, he was always the first to volunteer to spring into action. Now, sometimes Abishai could be a little bit annoying to David because he was so bold and he was so fearless. He would go out and he was he was known as the as he was known as the mighty man that always wanted to take somebody's head out. He wanted to take Saul out. He wanted to take this guy out and that guy out. I mean, ever read about Abishai? He's the first to stand up and take somebody's head out. And David, David would get willow weary with him. Now, I can understand where David's coming from, but sometimes we need somebody like that along the way. We need somebody on the team who's willing to stand up and take take a hit for Jesus and do something for the Lord there. And here's Abishai. He's willing to stand up. He was strong. He was swift. He was loyal. Even though he had his faults, he was a giant killer. And notice what it says here. Abishai, the son of Zariah, and I like this word, he suckered him. He came alongside and helped David. He helped David up. He helped David get to the sidelines. He let David rest. He said, David, I'll take the responsibility. Let me take on the giant. David, you've killed your giants during your time. It's my turn. Let me help you here, David. Let me just go out there. And he proved himself. And he went out and he killed a giant. He did many valiant acts, valiant acts but among them, he killed this giant of compromise. Look again. He went out and suckered him and smote the Philistine and he killed him. And I imagine that the latter part of verse 17, Abishai led the way with the men of David saying, Thou shalt go no more out for us to battle, lest thou quench out the, the light of Israel. They said, listen, we need you here. We need you back here. Don't, don't go out there anymore. We can handle it. We'll step up. We'll be giant killers from now on. David, you did your part. Now it's time for us to do our part. His very name inspires the fact God enables us with everything we need to be victorious. I mean, look again. Abishai means the possessor of all that is to be desired. He had everything. And listen, I'm going to tell you today, you and I have everything we need to beat the giants. We have everything we need to beat the giant of compromise. We have everything we need to stand firm for God. We've got His Word. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the power of prayer. We've got everything we need to win that battle. His very presence reminds us that as the giants confront us, when we keep on shining the light, when we keep on punching some holes in the darkness, we keep on representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Giant killer number one is Abishai. I wonder tonight, will there be an Abishai here tonight? Will there be someone who will come up alongside of a David? to be a, be a giant killer and take a stand for God. Will you be in Abishai tonight? Will you be in Abishai here in, in the Bay Area? Will you be in Abishai here in San Leandro? Will you be in Abishai in your family? Will you stand up against the giant? Will you take a stand for the Lord? Giant killer number two, victor number two, is this man by the name of Sibachai. Now write this down. His name means Jehovah intervenes. I like that. Like Abishai is a mighty man. If you write this down later on, two chapters later, 2 Samuel 23, verse 27. His name is also known as Mabunii. He's one of the mighty men. He was one of two Hushathites that are part of David's army. Saph is a giant of carelessness. And all the Bible says is that Sibachai rose up and he slew Saph. You know what he did there? His very name means Jehovah intervenes. You know the best way to cure complacency or prevent complacency or prevent carelessness or heart in heart is to have a prayer life. You spend time with God. You got you have to work at it. You got to make the time. This man reminds us Jehovah intervenes. He had to have God's help to intervene. And sometimes we, we find ourselves falling in this place of carelessness and complacency and we feel like there's no hope there and we've got to, we've got to realize we need God's help. Hey, listen, when Jehovah intervenes, there's revival, amen? When Jehovah intervenes, the Lord goes from being last place to first place. When Jehovah intervenes, we see victory. When Jehovah intervenes, we start seeing soul saved. We start, when we, we when Jehovah intervenes, we see victory in the Lord. When Jehovah intervenes, we find that God is working in places where we didn't see him work before. Listen, it takes grit and determination and fortitude to overcome carelessness. But we need to see the Lord intervening. Watch what happens here. I take you back this morning. We looked at Joshua chapter 17. 
And the men of Joseph came to Joshua and they said to, jo- they said to Joshua, hey, listen, we're, 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 uh, we're a great people, but we only have one portion, one lot, and uh, we need more. This hill is too small for us. And Joshua was very loving to them. He said, I know you're a great people. You are a great people. But he says, you know what you need to do? Here's a hill up here. It's filled with trees. Go get yourself an axe. Go chop down some trees. Go make a pathway. Make a way for yourself. If you're a great people, if you want more land, go work for it. Go do something for it. Listen, if we want to get out of this place of complacency and this place of carelessness and this place where it overcomes us we need to take an axe and we need to take the word of god and we need to go forward and chop down some trees and make a path go where somebody else hasn't gone make a path where nobody's made a path do something that nobody's ever done exercise some faith pray for some things bigger than you that requires god to intervene for your life and mine god took ezekiel to the valley of the dry bones battle been fought and the carcasses were laid there, but there were no carcasses. All was dry, dead old bones. He said, Ezekiel, son of man, he says, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to prophesy these dry, dead old bones. Can you imagine preaching to dead bones? He started to preach those dry, dead old bones, and God, there was a rattling. And I'm going to tell you tonight, one of the best things that can help you and me, we start finding our soul retracting and shriveling up, we need to get under preaching. We need to get under the Word of God. We need to get so under the Word of God, no matter how tired we are, you know what, I'm coming, I'm not coming to be entertained, I'm coming to be edified. I'm not coming to hear something new, I'm coming to hear what, I, what is needed. I'm, he, I'm here to let the Word of God work in my heart, amen. He started preaching, he heard some rattling, the bones started coming together. And I imagine Ezekiel, man, his eyes got as big as silver dollars, Amen. He's watching these bones come together, and then God says to him, these bones are coming together, and he says, the hip, you know, the, 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 the thigh bone's connected to the hip bone, and so forth like that, it's all coming together. And God said, I need you to preach something else. He said, I want you to preach to the four winds, and pray for the breath of heaven to come. And he started preaching, and the four winds of heaven, the breath of God came, and the breath of God, as sinew came on these bones, and flesh began to form. God gave life to these dry, dead old bones. I'm going to tell you something tonight. Sometimes we can get this place with these dry, dead old bones of us. We need the breath of heaven upon our life. We need God to breathe some help into us. And we ought to say, God, breathe some life into me. God, do for me like you did when you made Adam. You made him out of the dust of the earth. And the Bible says God breathed into him and made him a living soul. Listen, we need the breath of heaven to work in our hearts so we can come alive again for the Lord. Victor number three. This man by the name of Elhan in verse nine. Write this down. His name means the mercies of God. Aren't you glad about that tonight? His father's name means he who enlightens. Now, we do know that Lami, the giant that he faced, he was the brother of Goliath. That's what the scriptures tell us. As a brother of Goliath, he didn't take too well to Hebrews. They shamed his brother. Defeated his nine foot, nine inch tall, nasty, villainous brother. Not only that, David took his head off. Elhanan goes out and meets this giant. Remember, Lami represents the giant of calamity, problems. You're going through problems, going through a storm, going through a trial, going through a difficulty, got a lot of pressures, anxieties, worries. We all do. Some bigger than others. And so, Lami represents the storm that you feel like your ship is about to sink. He represents the burden that's unbearable. He's the, he's the anxious care and panic attack that gives us sleepless nights. He's the sickness that the doctor cannot cure. He's the person that has a vendetta against you. He's the contentious person or family members finding you and giving you stressful feelings. He's the giant that is pressing us beneath the load we're carrying. And then comes along Elhanan. Elhanan says, no, you're not. You're not going to continue. Elhanan means God's mercies. He aren't you glad today? God's mercies are new every morning. We need new mercies, but we, but we need God's mercies, period. Amen? We just need God's mercies in our life. God's mercies are new and God's mercies are needed. And Elhanan comes along and he comes out and he meets him. And it's by God's mercy. Listen, you just trust God and believe God to get you through your trial, through your problem, through your difficulty, through your calamity. This is what we need. This is the grace which sustains us. This is what it means. He gives more grace. This is his help in time of need. This is encouragement when we were discouraged. This is his love shed abroad in our hearts. This is the healing of our diseases in our lives. This is when our shield, he becomes our shield and exceeding great reward. He's the God of our peace who brings 
bruises Satan under our feet even right now. I mean, I look at this Sibachai and he comes along, Elhanan, excuse me, and Sibachai comes along representing the mercies of God and God comes along always at the right time for you and me. He's a giant killer. But notice we look at the fourth giant killer. Would you notice very quickly? He's found in verse 20, 21. His name is Jonathan. Verse 20, this giant which we said represented the, the giant of corruption or sin. He has no name. The Bible says he defied Israel. Defiant speaks of rebellion. And Jonathan was a nephew of David. He was the son of Shammah. Shammah was David's third brother, third oldest brother. He was the third from the third oldest. He was in Saul's army. Jonathan didn't get inspired just because his father was in the army. He got inspired because you remember what Uncle David did when Uncle David went out and fought the giant Goliath. And the Bible says, verse 21, when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the brother Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. He just went out and slew him. Hey, look, listen, he inspires me, encourages me, should encourage you that look, we have the giant of sin that tries to corrupt us and the giant of sin that wants to take us away from the Lord and move us from the presence of God. And every now and then, each of us needs to be like a Jonathan. By the way, Jonathan main name means whom the Lord has given. And the Lord gives us the strength we need to overcome sin. He gives us the victory that overcometh the world. Listen, there's no sin that the Lord will not forgive. There's no sin that we cannot give victory over. Maybe you're living with the burden of sin. You feel like, well, God cannot forgive me. I want to help you with that tonight. God can forgive you. By the way, God will forgive you if you come to Him. We confess our sins to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, the Bible tells us these things have already written you little children that you sin not. God wants to understand as we start the Christian life, we need to start the Christian life and realize that sin is always fighting with us. He says, I've written these things to you that you sin not. That doesn't mean we'll be sinless. He's saying, listen, don't let your life be in a position or place where sin is always going to be bothering you. I have these things writing to you that you sin not. But He says, but if any man sin, and this is encouragement because that's where the church at Ephesus was in 1st John chapter 2 there this was a church that one time was a light that was shining brightly and it was a church that was on fire for God it was a church that had such a reputation those early years the Bible tells in Acts chapter 19 that the reputation spread throughout all of Asia Minor which is modern day Turkey and all of Asia Minor heard heard all the heard the gospel in two years time I mean they, all the population of Turkey heard the gospel in that time but their light started to diminish and it started to flicker and they lost their testimony and they became they became corrupted and compromised and all these things. And now John's writing this. He says, listen, you've got to give back your influence and you've got to start shining the light brightly and you've got to start lifting up the standard and you've got to start preaching Jesus Christ and you've got to start having church more often, not church less. And you've got to have more prayer time and you've got to have more preaching. And you've got to have more revival meeting. And he says, these things are written to you, little children, that you sin not. And he called them little children because they had regressed. They'd gone backwards in their Christian faith. I wonder tonight if we're at a place where we regress, where the meat of the word does not appeal to us anymore and where we rather have the milk of the word. He says, these things have I written to you, little children, that you sin not. And if any man sins, he knew that we would sin. He knew that we'd have failures. He knew that would happen. He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'm saying today, Jonathan represents to us the fact that we can go to Jesus Christ. He advocates for us. He, he, he represents us before the Father. He's the mediator between God and man. He's our advocate. He represents us well before the Father there. I don't know about you tonight, but what's the sin that's holding you back? What's the sin that makes you feel like you're inferior, inadequate? Be a Jonathan. Realize God has given you everything you need to overcome that giant. We see the villains. We see the victors. Would you notice one last thing? Go back to this chapter with me, please. How do you pull all that together as we close tonight? Well, would you notice the vision? God gives us a passage like this. He shows this historical context. There were challenges. There were people who met the challenges. But God wants us to boil it down and bring it to where we're at in our life. That's the application. And there's a vision here. Not for those four victors. They've gone to heaven. Amen. It's for you and me. A vision for our lives. 
vision for our church. It's not enough that there's a David fighting the giants. It's a lonely job to fight the giants. It's exhausting to find the giants. Eventually you're going to find, if you're the only one finding the giants, eventually you're going to find out is that you're going to, you're going to wax faint. And eventually a giant's going to come along that's going to catch you at a, when you're very vulnerable and that giant's going to have thought to have taken you out. Hey, we need more than just a giant, uh, David. We need some Ishbi Banabs and we need some Sibikais and we need some Jonathans and we need some Elhanans and we need some men who'll stand up. We need more giant killers. This is a vision that there's a call for some giant killers. It's a call for some men and some women to stand up for the fight. Listen, if Heritage Baptist Church is going to make it 10 years from now, we need some giant killers. And if we're going to get more done for the Lord in the next six months, we need some giant killers. You just can't wait and say, well, somebody else is going to get it done, and this person's going to be there, and they're going to get it done. They will do it, and they'll get it done. But some of us who've been standing in the sidelines and not doing a whole lot for the Lord, it's time to step up, amen? It's time to get involved. It's time to lift up the shoulders and be a helper like this man Sibikai was, and be a helper to the work. Giant killers must have faith, and giant killers must have endurance, and giant killers must be prepared, and giant killers must be courageous, and giant killers must have a cause, and giant killers must share in the vision and see beyond themselves, and look down five years from now, ten years from now, what do you see? I mean, do you see our area where we can replicate Heritage Baptist churches around the area? Do you get an envisionment we can replicate a Heritage Baptist church in other parts of the world? Do you get a vision of a, of a Matt Haynes that he could go to a place where there's no independent Baptist church, and very few Christians on fire for God, and going there boldly at the risk of his life, at the risk of his life and his wife's life, and starting independent Baptist church and underground church right there in northern Iraq for the glory of God. I mean, this man's a giant killer. He's decided, I'm not going to let the giant of unbelief and, and cultisms and all those things get away. Somebody's got to start a church. Somebody's got to take out a giant. He said, I'll be the man. Amen. Giant killers are like David who come to the battlefield and says, is there not a cause? Giant killers are how churches claim their areas for the Lord. Giant killers are how missions gets advanced. And by the way, I just want to thank the Lord. Our church has responded in a very generous way. We want advanced missions. Going to this Sunday, 481,000 committed to faith promise missions. Faith promise cards still coming in. 1K offerings are coming in. We're going to have some dates I'm going to give you after this week that some, some uh, two to three dates we're going to have to respond. We some giant killers. Giant killers are the answer for a wayward generation. Giant killers are how we make sure the church makes a difference. Giant killers are needed so we have a victorious Christian life. Giant killers are how fathers inspire their sons. Pastors inspire the men. Ladies get inspired for ladies. Mothers inspire their daughters. We need some giant killers. You have to decide tonight the problem, the difficulty, the compromise, the carelessness, the corruption. They're not going to dominate me. They're not going to be the giant of my life. I decided tonight I'm going to rise up like one of these men. I'm going to take my stand among these giant killers. I'm going to be like an Abishai. I'm going to be like a Sibakai. I'm going to be like a Jonathan. I'm going to rise and be a giant killer. I'm going to take some giants down. I'm going to just do like Joshua told Joseph. We're going to go into the hillside and we're going to cut down some trees and we're going to make a path and we're going to make a direction and we're going to go forward for the Lord. We're going to make a pathway for us. Somebody else hasn't done it. We'll go into it. Hey, let's do something for God. Amen. So how about you tonight? Maybe our biggest giant tonight as we close tonight is just a giant of selfishness. That's honest. That's our human nature. That's our sinful nature. Let somebody else do it. Somebody else's problem. What a wonderful day when we say it's our problem. It's our church. He's our Savior. He's our God. It's our victory. It's ours. This evening, we see the villains. We see the victors. Would you catch the vision? Will you be a giant killer? To call for giant... By the way, it's not just for men. We need some men. When you get to the end of your life, are you going to be known as someone who killed some giants? 
or just someone standing on the sidelines watching everybody else kill the giants. Some ladies need to kill giants. Some students need to kill giants. What those giants are? God's mercies will give us what we need. He's the possessor of all things that are to be desired. We've been blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Claim the vision. Kill some giants. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you face a giant. You're not sure you're going to heaven. You've never had your sins forgiven. That giant is spending all eternity separated from God. God doesn't want you spending eternity away from Him. God wants you to know that He loves you, that His Son Jesus Christ took your place by dying on the cross for our sins. He died for every sinner. He died for every sin. And He did so so that by faith we'd understand it's not by what we belong to, but by faith, believing that Jesus took our place and died on the cross and rose again from the dead, we can be saved. You can have the certainty that heaven's your home. Heaven's not a 10-step process like an alcohol recovery program you've got to go through. No. Salvation, tonight you can be saved. Jesus told the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And tonight you can be assured that heaven can be your home. And I would urge you tonight, as you face this giant, do I do it? And maybe it's the giant of procrastination. Maybe you've heard the gospel before, but you've put it off. Don't let the giant of procrastination tell you tomorrow. The Bible says, behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time, 2 Corinthians 6.2. The Bible has an answer for every excuse we have. The Bible has an answer for every giant that's in our life. I urge you tonight to receive the love of Christ that's found in Him. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Be saved today. Christian friend, whatever your giant is, how about just saying, Lord, you gave Abishai what he needed. You gave Sibachai what he needed. You gave Elhanan what he needed. You gave Jonathan what he needed. Lord, would you give me what I need? Would you give me what these men have? Would you give me what I need so I can beat the giant? Father, tonight, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture and how encouraging and enlightening and refreshing it is that, Lord, there's some men mentioned here whose names we barely can pronounce who yet rose up at a critical moment to take on some giants. And I pray this evening as a call for giant killers is issued, I pray this evening that we will let go of inhibitions and fears and all of these other things that concern us. And as members of the church and believers in Jesus Christ, we would accept the challenge of going on and being someone who will take those giants head on. And then tonight, maybe someone here this evening is not 100% sure that they're saved and they're looking at the face of the giant of procrastination or unbelief or even the giant of religion and realize that religion is not the same as a relationship. You invite us to have a relationship by believing in your son, Jesus Christ. And by doing so, believing on his name for salvation, we are brought into the family of God. I pray this evening we give the invitation that someone here tonight who's not sure they're saved would call on the Lord to save them. I wonder with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven. You never, you're not sure you can point to time and place where you call on Jesus to be your Savior. Can I help you tonight? Right where you're seated, you can call on the Lord. You can pray a prayer like this and say, Lord, you can say this, Dear Father, I confess tonight that I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I take Jesus right now to be my Savior, my best friend, my Lord, and my God. Thank you, Lord, for saving me tonight. Tonight, if you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you tonight. Come see me after the service. Let me know that if you made Jesus Christ your Savior, because there's some wonderful promises the Bible gives us that gives us assurance that heaven's your home. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also me. And Jesus tells us in that same verse, and when, he, when we believe on him as our Savior, at that moment, he begins building a mansion for us in heaven. God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to have the absolute assurance that you're saved and go to heaven. Don't put it off. Let go of the giants that are holding you back and call on the Lord to save you. 
Father, bless the invitation. Help us not to be restrained, but unrestrained. And just going forward so that, Lord, we'll do acclaim what you want us to do. Lord, the call for giant killers has been given. Help us tonight to respond. Maybe it's in our marriages. Maybe, Lord, it's a bad habit. Maybe, Lord, it's some besetting sin. Whatever it may be tonight, I pray you help us to face the giants head on. With God's help, we know from the scriptures tonight that you give us a victory. Have your way, we pray now in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Your heads bowed, eyes closed. Pastor AJ sings the invitation. I invite you to come tonight if God's impressed in your heart to kill some giants. Would you do that tonight? We need some giant killers. There's a call for giant killers. Would you come tonight? We need some giant killers this evening. And then tonight, if you're not sure you're saved, I invite you tonight to call on the Lord to save you. And if you did get saved, come see me after church tonight. Come see us so we can help you. What's the giants in your life? Do you even see the giants? Or are you just passing by every day and don't even notice? Those giants, every one of those giants we mentioned tonight, they're giants that we face. Giants of rebellion, giants of resistance, giants of carelessness, whatever it may be. I mean, these are things that happen to all of us. We can conquer those giants, not in our power, but in the power of God. Would you be a giant killer? Will there be a new generation of people rising up to be a giant killer? You come tonight. Join those who have come forward to pray tonight, who are seeking the Lord's power and help killing some giants tonight. Would you do that? Search me and try me Master today than One of those men, his name means the Lord's mercies. God gives us mercies and help. Would you trust his mercies? Believe on him if you would. Father, tonight we are so thankful this evening that the record of Scripture reminds us that we do face giants each day, each week, each month. Sometimes we get used to hearing that, but there are real giants that we face. Sometimes we think those giants are bigger than life. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you. We're the possessor of all things that are to be desired to face those giants, conquer those tasks, take on those responsibilities and go on. I think of many of our students in school as they, there's this, just a giant of just trying to tackle through their schoolwork and their academics and just trying to graduate. And I pray that you give our students what they need so that, Lord, they, they're successful through school, but without school and academics becoming an idol in their life. Father, tonight it might be just some strain in some relationships, and that could be a giant to itself. And you help us tonight just to trust you and believe you for help that we need. Now, Father, in a few minutes, we pray you'll dismiss us with your blessing. We pray for the good hand of God upon our life. And uh, we pray this week that you bless us. It would be a fantastic week for every one of our members, a week of great devotions, a week of great victories, a week of just getting commitments for people to come on the 16th. So, Father, we commit these things to you. Thank you for a great day we've had in the house of God. All of this we give to you in Jesus' name. Amen.